The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Tuesday, May 31st, 2016 edition of the Sheila Zielinski Show. We are flying through May, aren't we? Wow, where did the month go? Thank you for tuning into the broadcast today. I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Monday to Friday right here on WINB. And a big shout out to all those tuning in from WINB. And also for more ways to listen, you can go to the menu bar at weekendvigilante.com. Click on listen and there's a variety of ways to listen. You can download the podcast, sign up for the YouTube channel, and of course, there's the Weekend Vigilante app. And if you do have the app, make sure you do have the latest version as we've added some cool new features on there. And we're adding a few more as we speak. So that's a great convenient way for you, the listener, to tune into the show. And if you have not already done so, please go to my social media, Twitter, Facebook, and do sign up for my YouTube because a lot of times YouTube shows come out even before the podcast populates. That's all linked up there at the very top right-hand corner of my website. Well, let's jump into the show today, folks. I am very excited to welcome my guest on today. My guest is Dr. Ted Flynn, highly acclaimed speaker and author, and he's the author of a book that was very instrumental in waking me up. One of my favorite authors, in fact, he wrote one of my favorite books. It is entitled Hope of the Wicked, The Master Plan to Rule the World. And let me tell you what, this guy, he knows what's going on. This book details many of the agendas of the globalist community. And let me tell you, the content in this book is staggering. And there's a good reason why it's on my personal top 10 favorite books. It was written way before there was this big awakening. And let me remind people that there were very few of us awake when this book came out. So we were awake when awake wasn't cool, you could say. We were the tinfoil hat conspiracy kooks. And of course, his new book, Great Transformation, Finding Peace of Soul in Troubled Times, that is an incredible book. And it is such a pleasure to welcome him to the program. Ted Flynn, it is a pleasure to welcome you to the program, sir. Well, thank you very much. I can, after doing a little research and learning about you, it looks like we're kind of kindred spirits to boot. Yes, I think we're kindred spirits, but my writing caliber is nothing in the arena of yours, sir. Incredible work. But what really shocked me the most in all your writing was in your books. You have something, well, I know in this one, Hope for the Wicked, you have something like over 1,200 footnotes. So you far surpassed my footnotes, let me tell you. I did. You know, it was an interesting thing. I wrote the book for me. I'd always wanted to write a book since I was, frankly, a boy. I've always been just a huge reader. You know, I started about nine years old reading, you know, Frank and Joe Hardy, the Hardy Boys, and I finished them all. And and then I've just always been a reader. And um, the way that that book started, I was a student at the London School of Economics in the mid-70s. And I had seen a quote, uh, John Kennedy, you know, young John Kennedy, President Kennedy went there and Daniel Moynihan and this kind of, been a, you know, it's, it's, it's a school of political science and economics. 
And uh, there was a quote that I had seen there at 23 years old where Joseph P. Kennedy said to his young son, John, when he was the ambassador to the court of St. James under Roosevelt, he said, John, I'm going to take you to a dinner tonight, and there'll be the 12 people that run all of Europe. And, you know, at a 23-year-old, it's an interesting statement coming from a man who was in the top 10 income in all of the United States at that time. And then, you know, and then Roosevelt put him ahead of the SEC after the Depression. It was kind of like the fox in with the hens. And so I found that as an interesting statement. And then I just began to read, you know, um, uh, economics is not a science. It's more philosophy. And I was just reading a lot and I just saw this thread that there is a group of people, whether or not you wanted to get into the big, big, powerful families and with the Johnson and Johnsons and the Rothschilds, these are very, very real dynasties. They're very real people. And there's an agenda. And uh, I, you know, over 20 some, 25 years, I just read and, you know, I've been employed. I just did a lot of this because I enjoyed it. You know, I've just been a reader. And then in the late 70s, I read a book called None Dare Call It Treason, and None Dare Call It Conspiracy. Now, those books had 5 million copies in print, and yet nobody talked about them, which I found stunning. 5 million copies in print. Remember John Stormer, very thin book. And, th- and then the, the book that really capped it all you know, that I saw that this was a very, very real issue of people with uh, dynasties, whether it be political or financial, that there was an agenda that they had among a group of people. And it was a book by Carol Quigley. And the name of the book was called Tragedy and Hope. Many of your listeners will know that book for sure. And he had been a student at Princeton, then taught at Harvard and then Georgetown. That is a book that is so credible that, you know, Bill Clinton became a Rhodes Scholar as a result of Carol Quigley. And if, if anybody goes back and listens to the first inaugural address of Bill Clinton, they'll see that the only person he thanked was Carol Quigley. And that book was, you know, it was published by Macmillan and Son, and and he had, uh, Quigley had access to the vaults, you know, of large, large institutions and families that talked about their agenda. But apparently, you know, they let him in probably due to ego that he was writing about them, but he, you know, they didn't know that he was going to put a book together that basically spoke about an agenda of the rich and the powerful that the average person has no idea that this really exists. And so then, you know, you just did more reading on environmentalism and all of the issues and the political philosophy of people and organizations and big, big banks. And if you want to find a group that's really running the world today, it's banks. If you want to find a group that is virtually running medicine and everything to do with health, it's pharmacy. It's basically the drug companies. And then I had seen a report that showed, or it was in the Wall Street Journal, to really fast forward here, of how true a lot of this material is. About seven or eight years ago, the Wall Street Journal did an article that showed, if anybody had ever seen that, it was very, very famous. It got very well known and circulated around the net and that the journal showed there were 144 companies in America 
that basically ran that, ran the country. Now, let me tell you how real that is. There's something called an SIC code, which is a standard industrial classification code, where you'll have things like mining, automobile manufacturing, you know, pharmacy. You'll have manufacturing in general, autos, you know, steel. And if you were to take a look at, you know, whether it's semiconductors, take an SIC code. You can see a vertical integration in these industries where there's four or five or six or maybe even seven that control market share, 80, 90, 95%, you know, the 80-20 rule, you know, 20% rule, 80%. And so then they projected that out to the world, and they showed like Vanguard that had, you know, interlocking relationships throughout all types of, of industries and that there were really just a few companies and entities and banks and you know you you see the consolidation of banks hsbc and used to be you know shanghai and you know um just the big big banks look how many of the you know six or seven big banks control most of america very easy to see bank of america and just a few banks jp morgan we used to have five great investment banks up to september of 08 you know now we're down to really three or four big ones you know, with Lehman and Bear Stearns going belly up in September of 08. But you can see the thread of a group. And so after the book came out, the book was way, way ahead of where most people were at. And I was considered for, you know, several years after the book came out, kind of the resident conspiracy theorist, you know, the the resident lunatic. However, nobody could challenge my facts. You know, Hope of the Wicked had 1,200 footnotes in it. And that, that was not my view. Those were the words, the policies, the agenda of a global elite with an agenda to not so much control the way you and I would use it, but to perpetuate their agendas. People can see how just how true a lot of this material is now since Obama's been elected. The book took off in a whole other dimension when Obama got elected, because frankly, it is about control. And, you know, Princeton, you know, I like to quote a lot of the, the bigger entities, you know, because if it comes from me, who am I? But if I can put a really good footnote down there with a quote, there's more credibility and veracity to that. So I saw something just about mid-December of 2014, where Princeton University released a study using well over 1,000 data points. I think it was something like 1,500. It was well over 1,000 data points that they said, the Woodrow Wilson School at Princeton, that the United States is no longer a democracy or a republic. It's in essence an oligarchy run by special interests. That's exactly what Hope of the Wicked was about. But, you know, it was just too far ahead. And when I did a lot of the, you know, uh, radio and TV on that, because the book did come out in 2000, but somebody would always bring up, you know, that I was the resident lunatic conspiracy theorist. So when I started the program, I always brought this up. Now, we're way, way beyond that now, Sheila, to where we are. People now see that there's an agenda that's very, very insidious and frankly diabolical for the control of virtually the soul of mankind right now. And you can just see an agenda that is far beyond the means of most people's understanding that in essence, evil never sleeps.
It really doesn't ever sleep, does it? Talk a little bit about the great transformation, because I mean, again, the subtitle there, finding peace of soul in troubled times. If we've ever seen troubled times, it's now. I mean, you've been at this a long time, what, 40 years, and I don't think there's ever been another time in history where we're going through such unprecedented times. Get into that for us. Well, this is my heart, mind, and soul. I mean, I've been doing what I've been doing now for 39 years as an avocation, vocation, publisher, speaker, author, distributor. And, you know, um, we have, a, we have a, a, a family business that's been a distributor of books along this now for 26 years. And we approach life as much as we live in Washington, D.C. area. We approach it. We're not Democrats or Republicans. We're basically trying to be Christ-centered because I've been here now for, um, oh, I guess, you know, 38 years in the Washington, D.C. area. And no matter who's in power, you know, it'll be abused. Um, Divided government is is the best government for a, a republic like the United States. Because whoever uh, will get in power, like you saw with Obama having, you know, the, the presidency, the House and the Senate, you just saw the, the shoving through of awful, awful, awful legislation. And the checks and balance system is, is no longer working. The great transformation is generally about this. The subtitle is, is called Finding Peace of Soul in Troubled Times. This book is dealing with the fact that the world is going through a transformation, and I, there's a chapter where I give from a Christocentric point of view where I think major events took place that altered the destiny of not just nations but civilization itself. One, if you know, Abraham or the flood or, you know, you could get into the bubonic plague, you know, World War One, World War Two, to something that has governed mankind's life since 1945 with Bretton Woods, with the introduction of the World Bank, the IMF, the IFC, uh, International Finance Corporation, and, you know, where the United States then was the true reserve currency for the world. So I list about 30 or 35 key dates that absolutely altered the destiny of civilization itself. And it would be hard-pressed for somebody to say that after 60 million people perished, in all theaters of World War II, all the way up to the firebombing of Dresden and Tokyo, 60 million people perished in World War II. That's a significant event. The bubonic plague, 175 million people perished all throughout Europe that altered Europe for the next 150 years. I'm saying that the world now, due to the confluence of events, whether you want to take banking or nuclear capability, all of the social indices in the world, they're all broken. Nothing's working as it should. That in and of itself is a barometer and an indicator of where the world is headed, that we're moving into a new dimension that the world has never seen. Now let's look at that in a prism where we turn the two facets of the diamond. One is that the historian would say, That is history itself. It's not a static process. It's very, very dynamic. That's absolutely true. But what the historian does not recognize in that equation 
for the, you know, the story of civilization itself. It's the Lord who raises up, and it's the Lord who brings down. It's the Lord who puts up a protective hedge, and it's the Lord who takes it down due to sin. He puts the hedge up due to virtue and following his commands, statutes, and ordinances. But then if it becomes to be a proud nation, that hedge is taken down and it ends up on the ash heap of history. The United States had a protective hedge around it for a long, long time. I believe that the United States was the greatest nation in the history of the world, the way that we were formed, the Constitution, the founding fathers, the adherence to a Bill of Rights, a Constitution that no nation ever had. It is my personal opinion that we are under judgment now and the protective hedge has been taken down. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, there's four principal ways where the Lord gets the attention of his chosen people, the Hebrews. And that he does. That's the history of the Old Testament. Number one, they can decay from within due to immorality, which you can see in Isaiah specifically, 6, 7, 8, 9, and it's all over. Jeremiah, etc. You can see that as a theme. Two, from an enemy from without. Three, weather alters the destiny of a nation, which you can see in many, many places. And four, Israel was given a bad king. Well, guess what? Take a look at the United States. <laughs> We've got all those checked, Mark, don't we? We've got, you know, we're a nation here that is in steep, steep, rapid decline. And in Hope of the Wicked, I show the, the eight points on the ascent and the descent of a nation, you know, from, you know, uh, all of the stages. And, and once it gets to the peak of prosperity, which can take 200 years, then it descends very, very rapidly because sin abounds. And there's pride and arrogance that they think they did it, but they forgot the generations that came before them and migration and self-rule and virtuous living was rewarded by the Lord. We have forgotten God. And I make a point in the book, The Great Transformation, that we're not being punished by God. This is not the vengeful God. And that is a very, very misunderstood issue when people specifically read the the Old Testament. Isaiah 59, 2 says, it has been your sin that has separated you from God. It is your sin that has separated you from God. The more we turn away from the Lord, our shadow lengthens. And so we're not being punished by God, but the Lord in all of his mercy gives us free will. Yes, indeed. Well, one of the things I like about your book is that you lay it out in very simple terms. And you know what's amazing to me is the simplicity of the Bible. And we are going into some perilous times, but there's so much confusion, whereas the Bible lays things out pretty simply. In other words, it's not complicated, but people really do like to complicate things. Yeah, couldn't be more simple. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not, you know, put any idols in front of me. In the year 2002, I did a book called Idols in the House, which is just the most simple thing in the world. There's 10 commandments. Three of those are man's relationship to God. They're vertical. First happens to be the idol. And then if you look at the remaining seven, they're man's relationship to each other. That's a horizontal plane of how we relate to each other. 
if you get the first one wrong, nothing else goes right. I kind of committed a faux pas of really writing to, to put so much scripture in one place, but I put the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28 in the book, the entire chapter. You know, that is the law, the Deutero, the law. And it's, the, it's called The Blessings and the Cursings of a Nation. It's just the way God designed the world. If we're obedient to him, if we're following his statutes and we're doing what he tells us, life goes better. In Deuteronomy 28, there's only 14 verses of blessings. Yeah, yeah, but there's sure a lot of curses there, isn't there? Well, you've read that chapter to know that, you know. And so, you know, it, it's so simple. I will bless your marriage. I will bless your family. I will bless the produce of your land. I mean, you don't need a PhD to understand this, you know. I mean, this is just very, very, very clear. As I say, the Bible is so well written, you don't need to be an intellectual to even understand it. It just goes straight to the heart and to the soul. Then in verse 15, it segues, what I call the if-then clause. If my people do not do this, then it's the if-then clause. That's where you transition to disobedience. Now you go for the next 55 verses of cursings. I will let foreigners overtake your industry. I will let foreigners overtake your land. Foreigners will come in and buy your land. Foreigners will tell you what to do and how to live. So for 55 verses is cursings. And as little as 14 is blessings that just cover the whole gambit. We forgot God. Our problems in the United States and the world, they're not political, they're moral. That's what our problems are. We have moral problems. We're not going to solve anything political right now because we don't have God's mind for it. And this is the progression of a nation that's living outside of, uh, of the will of God with a protective hedge that has actually been taken down. And you talk about where we're headed. There's going to be some events. You know, my kids joke that I've never been wrong. You know? And I've never been wrong on the issues because I never guess a date. I've never put anything to do with a date. And since I've been at this thing so long, I've seen every single person who tries to put a date to a certain event has never been right. However, we are moving into a time now that, as I say, is unprecedented. And the confluence of events is so dramatic, so strong, so compelling that we, some of the greatest financial minds now in the world, all over, are now believing that disaster is very, very soon to come upon us, whether it's going to be in the heavens, cosmic, geologic, in the seas, the financial system that's broken. Um, I had a conversation with somebody just today on derivatives. And people speak about the United States, you know, with the debt by the time Obama leaves will be somewhere between maybe 19 and, and $20 trillion. That's not sustainable. These numbers are so big because we've lost our manufacturing base. It's actually much bigger than that. The Bank of International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, which is the central banker's bank in Basel, has put the derivative issue worldwide at $710 trillion. 
$710 trillion. People like uh, David Stockman and others, uh, Blackstone, big, big investment banks, even 60 Minutes about a year ago, put the derivative problem at, at $250 trillion. That's what this Bank of International Settlements is putting the U.S. derivative problem at. And that's why we are looking for, you know, something to do with a currency reset. Will it be a basket? Will it be a reserve currency? Will it be backed by gold? Will it be a special drawing right that the IMF has wanted literally since 1968, the SDR that Soros is pushing? Will the United States be in the basket? Will it, as they say, will it be backed by precious metals? The answer to that question is really nobody really knows yet. Uh, and those that know don't tell, and those that tell don't know, I guess. But we're coming into an era in the world, an ERA, an epic in the world that has never, ever been seen before. And all of the money is now has been and is dramatically shifting from the West to the East. You can see the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa where they have their new $100 billion investment bank based in, in South Africa. You can see China and Russia with a new $400 billion uh, oil and gas from Russia to, to China to sustain that engine. And the United States is out of that. The United States is very much in a position of isolation with a lot of the world due to, frankly, some awful and horrifically bad foreign policy. That, that it's actually been deliberate. And this is the part that's so hard for people to wrap their head around. This has been a deliberate destruction of the United States. Yeah, destruction from within. And you can really see this playing out in the death by a thousand cuts to the Constitution, which I say is on life support. And all of this coalescence, this culmination, really is reflective of 1930s Nazi Germany, where we're at right now, isn't it? Well, you know, even the Gun Act in the United States, uh, we've been using the 1930 Gun Act of Germany. I used to use Germany. I've kind of had an understudy of the Weimar Republic, what happened in the 30s, um, how the Treaty of Versailles after World War I boxed the Germans in. Um, they felt like they had no other way to go but to tool, and then the paper hanger from Lintz came in as an economic savior. People, once they leave God, once they begin to lose sight of divinity and spirituality, they're going to latch on to something political. And there isn't a person listening, probably over the age of 15 or even younger, who has not seen the movie Ben-Hur. Now, I've seen it probably four or five times. I just have always enjoyed the movie. It's always on, you know, towards Easter and that kind of thing. And there's a really interesting scene in there based right out of human nature and politics. The scene where it's very early in the movie, where Masala comes in and he, re, you know, and he meets Charlton Heston, you know, as David Ben-Hur. They're talking, remember, their boyhood relationship, and they were throwing the spear, you know, down in the basement of a building. And, and Marsala says something really interesting to him, that is how empires grow and people begin to put faith in politics over God. And, he, and do you remember the scene where he says to him, come with me, come to Rome, 
overcome the glory of Rome, to see what we can do, to see this mighty empire and things that we can conquer, all of the things that Rome has accomplished. Look at what we've done in this whole world. And it's all political. It's an interesting scene because Charlton Heston is standing there as a young Hebrew man who is very well respected and moneyed even for that time in the world by looking at their place of domicile. And, but the answer for that man was all political in the power of it all. That's where the United States and the world is. They're all seeking human solutions because that's all they have to grab onto. Most people don't see this on the macro level, and this is what I, I said. I'm not raising a white flag saying it's all over. I'm simply saying that we're moving into another dimension in the world, that it's going to be the Lord's way. We have to, to come to this new era, this, new, this second Pentecost, this new Jerusalem. We, we have to get, we, these systems have to break down. They cannot exist as they do today and, and continue to move to where the Lord can move freely. We're now entering a phase where all of the world's systems, the ECB is busted. I saw something just the other day. Uh, the debt, if, you even, if anybody Googles this, they can find this. The debt to GDP, I saw it on Zero Hedge. The debt to GDP of 33 countries in the world is over 100%. Nine countries were over 300%. Over 300% debt to GDP. That's not sustainable in any way. And I was surprised to see a few of the countries. I, I, was, I didn't think the Netherlands, which has always been a trading nation, I was surprised to see them in the top 10. Japan, although they trade their debt internally, is 400%. You're looking at what's happening in Argentina, Greece, Cyprus, Poland. These problems are systemic. They're all over the world. And the world that we know is passing before our very, very eyes, and it's going to come into a new totalitarian regime. Whether you want, you want to just take the issues of vaccines, there isn't anything that you can pick as a social indice that's working as it was designed to do. I leapfrog all of the social data, all of the news, and I have a lot of good friends who have been doing this. We, we have an organization that is a distributor of a lot of books on these subjects for you know, 26 years. Uh, I now lump people in, into two categories, and I really mean this. There are those now who get it. They understand what's going on. They understand what environmental is about. It's about a world tax. It went from, you know, now it's climate change. Before it was global warming. Now that it's getting cold, they're calling it climate change. They're, they're basically brainwashing people through the news. ABC News nearly every single night for several years. First segment was about news with somebody standing in, a, you know, an inch and a half of water and saying, oh, my God, it's never rained like this. They're programming people. For, for climate change. Well, now the funny thing is, if you were to do an overlay of the United States of America or even the world, forget just what's happening here, this is a worldwide systemic problem. If you were to do an overlay of, of the United States, you would not find any one region or even one state that has not been really, really adversely impacted 
by severe weather that has decimated state, local, and federal budgets. And I have data in the book showing from 1993 with Hurricane Andrews, 93 or 4, Katrina, Superstorm, Sandy, you know, $60 billion in damage uh, in disbursements from the federal government of how that's affected insurance, state, local, municipal governments, uh, first responders, businesses, and every single area. And I leapfrog all of these issues to simply say that the world that we knew is over. So you're going to see you're going to see people very very shortly. Never mind the 93 million that are out of work, 10,000 a day going on social security, 48 million on food stamps, all the uh, social security disability income that's actually forming a pool of really unemployment with people abusing it. 65% mind-numbing number are indirectly or directly getting money from the federal government, state governments, or some form of government agencies. 65%. That's not sustainable. That's the whole point of this. I, I had a doctor tell me the other day who's been in the ER for 35 years. He said, I work for the government. I said, what do you mean? He said, every single person that's coming into the ER is an illegal immigrant or just people abusing the system that are all on government assistance. He said very, very few people come into the ER in an emergent situation. Now, here's a guy 35 years in the ER. You can believe this guy. A big, big believer, and he says the illegal crowd, as soon as they want to write up on something, all they've got to do is say, I've got chest pains. They know the system and they're being brought there even in ambulances because they don't even want to pay for a taxi. I, in essence, work for the government as a doctor in the ER. Think about that. But so I leapfrog this whole conversation we're talking now that until we get to the spiritual and begin to focus in on what is most important, putting the entertainment away, saying no to the frivolous and beginning to focus in because in the very near future, and I'm saying it's coming faster and faster. And so we're looking again at all of these issues that are pointing to we are shortly going to lose everything. And I'm not a prepper. A lot of people think that a person like me would be a prepper. I actually believe that you cannot protect yourself to the degree that people think they can. And let me explain that. In other words, if you've got a leaky roof, fix it. You know, I'm not talking about things like that. To the degree that you can be self-sufficient and do things for yourself, which was considered virtuous in the United States, you know, all the way up until just recently. And now if you're thinking for yourself, you're, you're labeled pretty much right-wing whack job. And that's the way the government is labeling you and trying to target you and data mine you as a subversive element to them. Now, I believe in absolutely everything to do with the First and the Second Amendment. I believe you should be able to protect yourself. I believe that you should be able to, you know, do the things that you can. But now let's go Socratically, so Socratic dialogue an inductive or deductive logic, when you ask a question, come to a very logical conclusion that is actually definitive. What if 
where people think that they can be independent of government. What if the government just doesn't issue you a license? What if they do something to your license where they deactivate it because you haven't done something? What if they shut off the water? What if they shut off the gas? What if they shut off the electricity? That's what's going to happen. We are going to be very soon defenseless. We're going to be coming into this era of dependency. Now, there are these groups of people that were in Egypt called the Hebrews under Pharaoh. And so he came for the deliverer, and they had 400 years of bondage, which was pretty rigorous and awful stuff. Now, how did the Lord protect his people? How did they prep? How did they prepare? Moses told them to do something as simple as could be, put blood on the doorpost. Where we're headed is going to be so spiritual, so unknown, that we really can't fathom what heaven is going to do with their agenda shortly. And there's going to be an event that is going to be in our lifetimes. Again, who knows exactly when. But the Lord is going to show every single person the state of their soul as God would judge it. That in itself will be a defining moment. I know about a dozen people who have experienced this, and one of them couldn't get up off the floor for three hours. There are millions, and I mean tens of millions, of devout people that are expecting this thing called the warning. That will give mankind the grace because we're so far gone as a culture, heaven is going to move in a new dimension, in a new way, and absolutely meet the evil and supersede the evil where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And until we get that, and where we can expect that in the not-too-distant future, and I have two full chapters on that quoting some of the most amazing people in all of history of what they're saying. And do you know when they're pointing to these events? Literally now. People wrote about this 100, 200, 300 years ago in church history. They literally point to our age right now. Well, I don't think people are making that emotional connection here because especially in this time of hearing, make America great again. But really, this thing as we know it is over. And I think that's what is so important to embrace is what did God say in Exodus? What did he say through Moses? There's so many times where he said, fear not. And as they're standing on the precipice of the Red Sea, you can see Moses saying, hey, Stand back and watch what God's going to do. Fear not. And that's important. That's the important piece. So over and over we hear this. Fear not. We've got to trust God in this thing. You know, it's refreshing to hear somebody like you because most people don't see this on the macro level. And we need to make that emotional and intellectual jump that God is now going to move. We're a spent bullet. One of my favorite verses all through my adult life has been Exodus 14, 14. I will fight your battle. I have no fear of this. This is the Lord's plan. Let's look at this on now a supranational level, supranational, not super. And, and literally with preternatural gifts of like impassibility and word of wisdom, word of knowledge, where we were operating preternaturally. There is one word in the entire Old Testament and New Testament. It's about trust. 
if we know that God has a plan for transforming the world, if we jump on that bandwagon and do what God is asking, and we believe living in obedience, and, and that is the key word, to be in obedience, and it isn't this cosmic bellhop type stuff of, you know, God is going to bless me here. God has a plan. God has an agenda. He's breaking down the old world because we were never meant to live like this. This is not how we were meant to live with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, literally. I cannot think of a family now that is not experiencing great, great difficulty. And I mean to the point of stress. If there's probably one underlying theme in, in, in the book, The Great Transformation, is that all of these things that are going on around us are creating such stress that people are not functioning any longer. They're not functioning as we were ought to do. So that means if we want to use just pure logic, we need to abandon everything that is not essential now and focus just on spiritual. We need to put the entertainment craze away. We need to have a healthy balance of sports and entertainment. You know, you hear this thing of people say they're, you know, they're spiritual but not religious. Well, the chances are if you're not going to church and not reading scripture, you'll think that you're spiritual, but then, you know, then you'll be in yoga class on Sunday morning, and then you people begin to drift away from anything that's spiritual, and then they no longer have a sense of sin or virtue because they've, they've been drowning now for years in, in the doctrine of relativism. And I guess if you look at your neighbor, you could think you're doing pretty well. But if you want to look at yourself in the light of divine truth, we may not be doing so well. And until we abandon all of the frivolous, we, we have no chance of getting back to where we should. And we're now at a place where everything that does not pertain to the most important things in life we have to drop them because there's, when these events come, as I always say, Noah was the village idiot until it started to rain. And when it starts to rain, and let's say something cataclysmic is, you know, happens, some, in other words, something major, uh, because as they say, you know, when your neighbor's out of work, it's a recession, but when you're out of work, it's a depression. There are now going to be many, many, many more people struggling due to an event coming that is going to be nearly impossible for people to cope. And they're not going to cope well, the vast majority of people. Why? Because they did not have the spiritual preparation. It's kind of the same thing as like an athlete training and maybe at an Olympic level. You know, there's years and years of preparation, eating right, sleeping right, training right, all of the things to be able to run that race at the highest level. And if people have not been in spiritual formation in the Word of God, in spiritual reading, using their time wisely, their priorities of Christ, spouse, kids, and job in that order. Um, because when the first one goes, the second was in its proper place, and the second and the third, everything lines up correctly if we keep our priorities. But if one of those are out of whack, everything's out of whack because it just isn't going to work. And the first one has to be our relationship to Christ. And if that is not where it should be, first and foremost, in our heart, mind, soul, and strength, 
we're going to perish. And when this storm comes, it's going to be brutal and it's going to be ferocious. And if we trust in God that he has a plan, will it be maybe difficult? Yes. Are we going to make it? Yes. Does God provide for his own? Yes. Amen. Yes, he does. And on that note, I think that's a good note to wrap up on. Ted, it was so good to have you on the program. Thank you for joining me today. But I would like to have you back on to discuss this in a little more depth. I do want to really encourage people to get your books, incredible work. And again, I do hope you come back and see us real soon. Sheila, I will do your show anytime you ask. And I I should mention, if people do want to get it directly from us, they can go to sign.org, S-I-G-N.org. Sign.org. There you have it. It's linked there on today's bio. I really do want to encourage people to check out Ted's handiwork and especially all the resources there at sign.org. Again, it is linked on today's bio. I'm so glad that you tuned into the program today. We have a fantastic lineup for the rest of the week. I want to remind people that if you have a prayer request, and if you do need some prayer, you got some really tough stuff going on in your life. I know I'm getting a lot of emails. People are going through a lot of challenges right now. I just want to encourage you, do get in touch with me. Hey, keep your eyes fixated on Jesus. There's a lot of clamor going on. There's a lot of stuff going on around us, grabbing and vying for our attention. But I want to encourage you, do not get your eyes off Jesus. Make a commitment that you're going to spend time in his word, spend time in prayer. You know, there's a lot of us that say, hey, we just don't have time with busy schedules to spend that much needed time. Start your day off right. Start it with the word of God and end it with the word of God. And don't forget, prayer is powerful. I know that sounds like a last resort for a lot of people, but I want to encourage you, prayer is very very powerful. So God wants you to reach out to him. He wants that personal relationship with you. So go to God. Go to God and share what's on your heart. Go to him. I really do want to encourage you with that today. God cares about his people. You know, we live in very perilous times and I wish the world would be in as much of an uproar about the slaughtering of innocent babies via Planned Parenthood as they are about a gorilla. And We're living in times now where it's just insanity abounds and there's a theme of gull contempt for humanity, gull contempt for us as people that are made and created in the image and likeness of God. And I want you to know today, we're not less important than animals like those gorilla people would like you to believe. God blessed us and said, be fruitful and increase. Remember what it says there and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground, including a gorilla. God made us in his image. Don't let these groups convince you otherwise. Groups like Planned Parenthood, who they say, hey, babies created life. It's a dime a dozen. Groups like PETA. Think of that for a minute. The president and co-founder Ingrid Newkirk She has led the world's largest animal rights organization for more than 25 years. And you know what she says? Look this up. This is documented in the Reader's Digest. I cover this in Green Gospel. She says people have grown like a cancer. We're the biggest blight on the face of the earth, she says. She's involved with Earth Save and all these other greenie groups. There's an idea that's been planted in the minds of people through programming, mind control, etc., that humans, 
They don't even deserve to exist to these people. Animals are so much better and more loving and innocent than humans. And if you're to stand a child and a cute baby gorilla side by side to give people a choice of whether to kill one or the other, sadly, people are brainwashed to no longer value human life. I think there's actually a lot of people that would pick that baby gorilla. We've humanized animals and animalized humans. The Bible warns of this lack of affection for children in Luke 23, 29. What does it say in Isaiah 13, 18? It says, People will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Those are powerful biblical predictions that's proof of not only Bible accuracy, abortion is murder. We live in a culture of murder and death. And may God have mercy on us, that's for sure. I thank you for tuning into the program today, folks. Hope you're blessed by the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.